0: Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist and coach. And I'm your co-host Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared
1: knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running
0: and ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you.
1: This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh Yeah. And
2: great athletes, great runners, have this ability not to stay focused, but to refocus. Our self-esteem and worth depends on getting that outcome. And so when we don't achieve it, we feel really bad about ourselves. And then when we perform well, we feel really good about ourselves. And our identity and everything kind of gets wrapped up in in that. And just think about it, if my self-worth is dependent on, let's say, finishing comrades, if I don't, it's, it's a huge problem. But also, what, goodness, the pressure and expectation then on this performance is massive it's not just well i'm going to be disappointed i didn't reach a goal my, my worth almost as a person depends on it
0: before getting on to today's conversation we wouldn't be able to bring you our making a runner podcast without the support of our valued sponsors this episode is proudly brought to you by on the move the four bros have been a big supporter of the work i do within the community and they always aim to bring you the finest quality sports health and lifestyle products to help you achieve and maintain all your desired health and fitness objectives one of these products i am personally a big fan of is on running this sports apparel brand offers swiss excellence both in quality and performance and has enjoyed key international design and technology awards even though when it comes to running shoes my advice to my clients is always to go on what makes them feel most comfortable i can guarantee that whether you get yourself into a pair of on shoes for daily life work or casual purposes you will not regret it The shoe is extremely comfortable, stylish, and is my go-to for these long hours spent on my feet, especially at work. Make sure to check them out at onthemovestore.com or simply pop into one of their stores in Durban, Joburg, or Cape Town. This is a top tip from me to you. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: Nicola! Davide! My friend, my friend. I I know you've been training hard. I know you've been training your legs, and we're all ready to go, but I have a question for you. Tell me. Have you been training your mind as well? Oof,
0: my boy, every run. Every, every run.
1: run. You reckon, even when you have me whispering in your ear. Sometimes, you Davey, Foster. sometimes
0: oh, in today's podcast, we, we talk a bit about distractions that can get you out of your state of flow.
1: Distractions and how <laughs> to get refocused.
0: Davey is one of the distractions in my <laughs> running. I, I hope that I'm, uh, I'm not in yours otherwise you're going to be in trouble come a couple of weeks, my boy. No, you, you <laughs> lead me on, on the right path. But before we get on to talking about today's podcast, guys, we, we just want to share something with you. Obviously, Making a Runner has been on an incredible journey over the last year. And today... Hold on, let me get the violin out. Play it. Play it better. I need I better know, violin. That's the best <laughs> I can do. Guys, today is our anniversary. Oh. Um, <laughs> sure. Clapping. And uh, honestly, we're we so thrilled with the support that we've had from the running community. It's been an incredible journey. Uh, we, we couldn't have done it with each and every single one of your listens. And the podcast is going strong. We are getting great guests on, and we hope that you are enjoying the show. It seems like people are responding very well to it, and we are full steam ahead to keep on going. Hey, Daniel. Yeah,
1: and, and, we just, and we love what we do, guys. I mean, yeah. being able to get to, you know interview some of South Africa's influential um, athletes and top athletes, and also just getting to um, engage with the community that we're building has, has been really special. So yeah, truly thank you guys. It's been a really awesome one year. I remember when we did our first episode and um, we were sort of like, what, what are we doing here? Uh, are, yeah. are we doing this you know yeah. not much confidence you know who who in south africa actually starts a podcast yeah. <laughs> that was my question but um it's been a it's been a fantastic ride and like nick says we are full steam ahead um it's going to be a even better year this year because yeah. we have
0: some exciting guests lined up without giving away too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we're just going to grow from strength to strength. But just wanting to say thanks to all of you. Thanks to all the sponsors that have come on over the last year. And also a special shout out to our Patreons that have come on over the last couple of uh, weeks as well, since we started our Patreon account. Yes, as So well.
1: thank you very much, guys, you guys. But
0: it's time to refocus. Refocus, re-focus. our <laughs> energy because today's <laughs> guest, who is today's guest, Davey? Dr. Kirsten. <laughs> so today's guest, guys, is Dr. Kirsten Heerden. She is one of a handful of people in South Africa to have both represented her country as an athlete and also holds a PhD in the area of sports psychologist. She's a clinical psychologist and, man, it was an extremely insightful and interesting conversation. I think we, we both learned so much from it, eh, Davey?
1: yeah it's one of those conversations where you really have to think quite hard about what she's saying because it's not as easy as nutrition where you Oof. get you get told do this and you'll get that it's um yeah. it's it's a lot more difficult than that and you need to really you know practice what you preach and be mindful of the things that you're putting into
0: place and you know i mean what's the saying Ninety percent is yeah. so, ninety percent of ultra running is in your is in your head or is in your mind. mind. And the other ten percent is in your head. Let me let me say it again. Ninety percent of ultras are mental, and the next ten percent in your. Head, <laughs> Correct. There you go. It's in your mind. Which basically means 100% is in your mind, guys, in case and anybody <laughs> missed that. And today, I we, did. today we talk about the mindset behind endurance running. So we, we find this is an extremely powerful topic. It's something that a lot of runners don't think about. You know, we all hear about the pain cave, but we perhaps don't practice the mental side of it and as dr curse mentions a few times in today's podcast is you know it's something that you got to practice in everyday training you can't just think about it on the last day or think about it during the race day or at the end of your race it's something that you practice it's a behavior you know mental well-being for runners is a, is a huge aspect because running is obviously a stressor as well so making sure that you are in running for the right reasons making sure that you you have the appreciation for the journey that you take part in rather than just seeing the end line as something that you have to achieve. Uh, we also learn about channeling our nerves, different forms of corrective thinking, and also how to become a confident athlete, which after the conversation, we hope that all of you guys have some, some special toolkits uh, to walk away from to become the best mentally strong athlete you can possibly be. And guys, this is also a uh, topic that we really
1: want to talk more about. Uh, I think it's something that's equally as important as nutrition. So yeah, sit back, relax and enjoy. Let us know if you learned
0: anything on today's podcast. And here is Dr. Kirsten van Heerden. Enjoy guys. Kirst, thank you so much for being with us today and taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat today, Vienna.
2: No, it's an absolute pleasure, and again, thank you for inviting me to be on this podcast. It's always, yeah, it's always fun to talk about the things we're going to be talking about. Yeah,
0: look, I think mental strength in general is like, like Davey would say, is one of those topics that is very misunderstood in athletes, and often an afterthought. A uh, lot of people, you know, they they get their training right, they know they got to do certain amounts of mileage, but then it comes to race day, and they realize, oh, there's there's a lot more to it, and I think a lot of a big element of it is experience. But uh, obviously, preparation is another big element. But perhaps we can just start off with you giving us a little bit of background about yourself, just for listeners that don't know who you are, and just, yeah, a little bit more about how you would be able to help an athlete uh, from a mental perspective.
2: Sure, and I suppose this is where I admit that I'm not a runner. (laughs) It's a good start. It's it's fine.
1: Transparency (laughs) is key. But you are a very high-level athlete. She's thinking about getting into running.
2: (laughs) So, so yes, so my background is in swimming. So I swam competitively for for many years and, yes, swam for South Africa for a number of years. And I just really realized how much my mind played in my performance when I was competing. And, you know, my coach was really great, but he'd often sort of be like, just train hard and you'll be fine. And we said, okay, there's a little bit more to it than that. So, you know, even now you ask athletes and you say like, how much on race day is in your head? And they're like, yeah, 90% in your head, like, great. So how much time do you spend practicing that? And often we don't, you know? So yeah, so I became really interested through my own swimming career on this mental side of, of sport. Um, so as much as I say, I'm a sports psychologist, I'm actually a clinical psychologist. And was really interested in mental health as well. So kind of athletes and sports psychology, high performance mental health, all sort of mixed well together with my interests. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I got into the space that I'm in now.
0: And now you pretty much deal with athletes of all levels and different disciplines, am I correct?
2: Yes, yeah. All sorts of different sports. Including runners. <laughs> A lot of runners. A lot of runners. <laughs> A lot of runners, yes. So comrades' runners, um, you know, ten K, some as we were speaking about before we started this, mm-hmm. you know, amateur runners as well, or more social runners, I suppose. But uh yeah, and I enjoy it all. So, you know, from to someone like the under fourteen B team cricket player, you know, mm-hmm. to Olympic champions, I really enjoy working with athletes and I suppose teaching these Mental skills. I think I'm a bit of a teacher at heart. My mom was a teacher and her family's all teachers. And so I really enjoy teaching these skills um, and doing workshops. Uh, it, It might sound strange, but I never really became a psychologist necessarily to do therapy with people. I was just really interested in people. And then and then became really interested in how do you teach people to do some of the things that we're going to talk about.
0: Well, hopefully you can teach uh, me and Davey a few things and our listeners mm-hmm. quite a few things about the 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 mental strength behind endurance sports, especially running. I know you mentioned it, you know, 90% of it is in your head. Mm-hmm. The other 10% is in your mind. So <laughs> what did the comments?
1: I, I think I've just realized what that meant. <laughs> 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 I'm not joking. I was reading this before and I was like, but that's the same thing. <laughs> but now I understand that it's a hundred percent in your mind. <laughs> well, done, got guys. We sorry. <laughs> I got there.
0: So what are the common things that you see with, you know, runners coming through your doors? They suffer from a mental perspective that you try and help them through.
2: Yeah, I suppose it depends a little bit on what the event actually is, but most, and not just runners, most athletes that I see, but if we speak about runners, it a lot of the times it's nervousness beforehand, you know. So how do I manage my nerves? How do I control them before I race so that sorry that I'm actually um able to perform like I want to and put all my training to to good use? So certainly nerves and managing that. But for the more endurance athletes, I think it's <laughs> it's really managing the suffering part of it, yeah. I can imagine. You know, if you're going to be running 90 kilometers at comrades, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna suffer. And so what do you need to do mentally to, A, prepare for that and B, when you're in it, to how do you use your mind to be able to help you get through it? So, you know, those are really, I say, the common mm. themes, I would say, among
0: some of the runners. And obviously you believe that is something that can be trained. Just as much as you can train the amount of running that you do, the amount of mileage that you do, training your gut with your eating, you can train your mind.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, there will always be some runners that are just... And I mean, everyone will know, like, just love the competition of it all, you know, and put them under pressure and they just flourish mm-hmm. and they, uh, they're they their best, you know, at that point. And they don't necessarily see a sports psychologist or anything like that. But those are few and far between. I think for the majority of us, these are mental skills that you you can learn and you practice and you get better at. And I think just often we're not really taught them. You know, I mean, even for myself, people, just be confident or just believe in yourself or, you know, focus. You know, great but you know how do you go about doing these things um so yeah that's my job just trying to teach how you do it
0: so let's start off with that then so I <laughs> how mean how do you do it how, how do you try go nuts. about say something like channeling your nerves is there certain pathways that you would try and teach someone to sort of revert to or is it something that also comes from the experience of you know if it's your first comrades you're gonna have nerves regardless of how much you train you know um, does that play a role as well
2: for sure. And I mean, I think we've all heard that that sort of nervousness and excitement often kind of the flip side of a, you know, the same coin and how do you manage it? So, you know, someone also said this to me once, which I quite like, you know, it's great if you have nerves, if you feel like you there's, you know, there are a few nerves, it's very far away from panic. But often you'll have athletes, they start to feel a few nerves and they jump straight to kind of like, you know, panicking that they're having all of this and now they have to run. And so it's how do you actually tolerate some of that nervousness? And then for sure, um, how do we use some skills? So there's a great podcast. Some of you guys might have been uh, listening to him. I sort of binge listened to him for a while. Andrew Huberman, he's yes. um, yeah, a neurobiologist. And yeah. he had a, a quote, which I love. He said, and it might be a bit strange for a psychologist to be saying this, but he said, it's hard to control the mind with the mind. And I think it's so true. Just trying to talk yourself out of feeling nervous is not really the best way to do it. So all the athletes that I work with probably get, sick of me saying this but (laughs) i do this a lot so we use a lot of breathing exercises and how do we use the body to begin to control the mind and just ratchet that anxiety down a little bit and then you can work on some of the more cognitive skills you know and kind of thinking skills and um, one way of thinking about this which i like is if you imagine your brain is a little bit like you know those guys that ride elephants if you go to i know asia somewhere and and Forget about it. I know people are going to say this. I know there's some animal abuse that goes on. So just forget about that for the moment. It's a metaphor. <laughs> metaphor. Exactly. Yes. We're not literally saying uh, that I like this. Yeah. Exactly. Because so, no, <laughs> someone said to you, hey, Kirsten, yeah. you know they abuse I eyes like No, I don't. So, <laughs> <How> do <you laughs> so, so a please, fall? no one write in or, or kind of you know send me an email about this. No, yeah, we got you. But, we got you. Um, it's quite a phenomenal when you see this huge big elephant and this little person on top that really directs this elephant and it all works beautifully well when this elephant is really calm and composed. But if you've ever seen a panicked or enraged elephant rampaging about, there really is nothing that this person on top is going to do to just stop it. Um, even small little elephants are just so powerful. And our brains are like this. We have this very big emotional part of our brain, which is like the elephant. It's amazing. It's big and it's strong and we don't want to get rid of it. But our logical thinking brain is like the person on top that directs all of this. All works beautifully well when our emotions are in check. But if our emotions are panicked and rampaging about, our logical thinking brain is like, what enough long ago, you know, trampled to death.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Nobody and, at home. I <laughs> you know,
2: exactly. And I think we've all had this experience under pressure where uh, after performing, why did I do this? Or... I never do that. Or why did I sprint the first 10 kilometers when actually I didn't need to? So we all tend to make like really silly decisions often under pressure because our logical thinking brain is exactly, it's it's nowhere to be found. So how do we just calm the emotions first and say some breathing exercises are often the best way to do that. Just calm that down. Then we can think a little bit more logically about what we're going to do.
0: Sure, I definitely can see that enraged elephant in uh, Davy's eyes. One, one, <laughs> one too many times prior to race day. Hey, boy? but
1: no, you got to risk it for the biscuit. I <laughs> often believe that don't let don't let the the calm side pull you back. Come like let that inner that inner elephant out of
0: it sometimes. So because <laughs> <I> mean, it, <laughs> I'm just I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah, I'm
1: I'm completely agree with you.
0: <laughs> and I mean, is that something that you know a, a runner could? as part of their normal daily routine say like as part of meditation in the morning uh just calming the nerves calming their senses settling in focusing how does it actually look from a practical side from a breathing perspective is that something that you know you do at the start of a race or is it at the start of every session to sort of associate it with running what would you recommend
2: yeah, and again, it's a great question. I think it's certainly something that n- needs to be done every day as a as a practice, really. Um, you, you know, again, I'd listen to someone speak, and they'd said, "Think about brushing your teeth. We brush our teeth, or should brush our teeth twice a day, every day. We don't think, well, you know." I brushed it yesterday. I don't think I need to do it today. <laughs> so, no, you do it every day. And so what are we doing, though, for sort of our mental health or mental preparation every day? And, you know, we take better care of our teeth and our bodies than we do of our minds. So what are the things that you're going to be doing every day? And it doesn't have to be long. And people, I think, hear the word meditation and sometimes also freak themselves out or think they have to be some yogi sitting for an hour <laughs> doing things. Yeah, And you really don't have yeah. to. So, I mean, if I had to give some practical tips what to do, you know, generally, um, I mean, there are a number of different exercises, but the one that I really like is breathing, the deep diaphragm breathing, and doing it for around about probably research shows between three to five minutes at a time. That you don't look if you go longer, that's great, but I say even three to five minutes, and it's breathing in for about three seconds, sort of pause for a second, and slowly out the long exhale for about five seconds or so. So it's kind of a, almost like a one-to-two ratio mm. of in-to-out. And that long kind of exhale we know has all sorts of different benefits in terms of just calming you down. So it physiologically relaxes you. But then it's also the the trick with this, which is really difficult to do, it's called single-point focus. Can you actually just focus on breathing in for three sure. seconds that's, and out for five? That's so
0: hard. <laughs> it it's, is.
2: It's, it, you think oh, just two minutes. Can yeah. Do- it, it is so difficult. Your mind wanders off. But part of, if you want to use the word meditation, is really noticing your mind wandering and then refocusing. That's the actual skill. It's not staying focused. And great athletes, great runners have this ability not to stay focused but to refocus. And so that's really what you're practicing. And so it's dual benefits, which I love. The three in and five out just kind of calm you down, you know, which is cool physiologically. Mm. But then also, say, practicing catching your mind wandering and time traveling often, say, you know, and then back to just the present moment. That's really what you want. Think about when you're running and your yeah. mind wanders off. How do you bring it back?
0: Well, that's something that I was saying in our last podcast with Davey and I. I just spoke about mental strength. And I think it's being able to just refocus because there's going to be distractions all around. And it's just being able to bring it back to the current moment and not letting those distractions let your mind run away with them. Yeah. Um, but you know, as you say, it's it's something that is very much individual. It, it, and this the, the type of advice that we're giving right now is a very much blanket advice. And some people are gonna be able to handle that very well. Some people are gonna struggle with, with that type of focus and Especially if you're if you're a novice runner or if you're a rookie runner and you've got this this whole running world ahead of you, there's there's so many things that you could be focusing on. Yeah. Uh, you're just trying to even like even with your running and your pacing, you're struggling to get different types of paces. You're either running or you're walking, and now there's someone here telling you that you you got to eat this much and mm-hmm. you got to make sure that you get this much sleep and the stress matters. And now you yeah. also got to make sure that you're doing your breathing exercises and all that. Is it sort of important that the question for me is, is that something that, you know, say you you give yourself a goal in four months time or six months time, is mental strength something that you can work on throughout that six months? Or is it something that you can also frame into when you're getting closer to that event or when you're more focused on that specific event?
2: Yeah, I would say that it's, it's something that you need to work on in those four months. And when we say work on it, it is mental work because, and I think this is, you know, the other thing sometimes that people not necessarily get wrong, but uh, you know, it's just maybe a way of thinking about it. If you have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and go and do a long, you know, long run, whatever Mm. you're doing 20 K run or something like that, or 10 K it's effort, it's work. Mm. And so it's the same thing with this mental side. It takes some effort and, and work to be like, you say, bringing your mind back? It's difficult. It's not easy. But that's the practice that we have to have, and so we can't just do it. Let's say also mental rehearsal, or people often use visualization, and you ask athletes like, "Yeah, yeah, night before I race, I do yeah, I visualize my race." To be perfectly honest, you might as well not. Like it's fine if you do, but it's not really going to do too much. Then, like it's it's not. I mean, it's not terrible. It's not going to be detrimental, but. It's a skill that has to be developed and it's really just over time that it actually, you you get used to using that skill and the real benefits of it. So I would really encourage people to do something every, you know, I'm going to say every day, every training session. Mm. And this really is where mental and physical preparation go hand in hand. You can't separate it out. You have to be using your training sessions to build um, your mental strength, mental toughness, focus, you know, whatever you want to call it.
0: Well, that's just it. I think, you know, if you're going on a long run, the chances are that within that long run, you're going to have the same distractions that you're going to be faced with on race day. So yeah. The, yeah. the better prepared you are from a physical perspective, the better prepared you're going to be mentally as well. Is that true?
2: Absolutely. And I say those are the days that you practice not wandering off when you're getting tired, you know, and kind of bringing it back or we can tell a bit later, you know, segmenting your race or segmenting kind of your, your training sessions, you know, just in terms of focus for the next little task, you have to practice it because you can't only practice it when you're in comrades Mm. (laughs) and often thing as well, you don't want to be confident at the end of your race. When you've done well, you want to be confident at the beginning. So you spend most of your time in training. I mean, most athletes will spend 99% of their time in training than an actual race. So, We can't waste
0: that 99% of time. Well, you mentioned an important word there, confidence. How do you become a confident athlete? (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's a loaded question. question. (laughs) How long do we have? (laughs) So so I wanted to sort of ask a question that's like based on that is, you know, like as you progress in your running, swimming, cycling journey, whatever it may be, and you get stronger and you achieve this goal, that goal, and eventually you start obviously progressing to a place where – you're gonna get capped, you know, at your physical performance, right? And say for example, for Nick and I at the moment, like we're pretty much not at that cap, but every single time we're like pushing for a new PB, it's gonna be very difficult mm-hmm. because we're we're searching for improvements. We're like, we know that if we have to go and run a marathon PB, you know, in two, three months, whatever, it's gonna to be tough because we're getting to that point where where our natural talent is is there. But yeah. now we're, we're obviously training for it, getting stronger and all of that. But as you go through that journey and you naturally also, you know, don't get those goals that you set yourself and and you fail. Um, for, for me especially, that can be quite a mental block because mm-hmm. – and I think everybody goes through it – is obviously setting goals and not achieving goals. Yeah. Um, and I think it can be something that a lot of people, especially like myself – you know battle with is like you go into that self doubt can i do it why why can't i do it scared to maybe try it again if i look mm-hmm. at my comments journey like i'm petrified to go and do that again and fail again sort of thing like it's just it, and and that for me is like a huge mental battle is also putting the pressure on yourself you know to constantly get better because we always we want to get better like we know that i mean Especially for people that are that have that competitive edge. We always wanna be a little bit better. Um and naturally sometimes we're not gonna be able to do it all the time. But what would your advice be, you know, to people who are struggling with that confidence in terms of not achieving the goals or or mm. just, you know, going through a period where they're suffering with self-doubt?
2: Yeah, sure. There's there's a lot that we could talk about there. And it's um and as I said, I, I love talking about this stuff. So maybe I'm gonna answer your question in two ways. The first one. And to preface it with, I'm super competitive. So I'm never gonna say like, oh, don't worry if you would or not. Like yeah, I, I really don't I, like, tell me that. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. Like, or well, don't worry if you get the time. So I get that it's really important and you know, you want to win or you wanna achieve your goal. But um the the problem from the mental point of view is when we set only outcome goals and get stuck there, it adds huge pressure to performance, first of all. An outcome goal being a particular time or placing, or I have to win, or you know. And those are the goals that get you out of bed every morning to go training. Like I want, to, I want to run comrades, you know what I mean? I want to get a particular time. The problem is the closer we get to a race, the more that it adds pressure to us. That that's what I have to do. And the more that we get stuck in this outcome and we forget about our process, the things that we need to do to get to that outcome, and that's the shift in focus that we have to have. And we have to also set ourselves these process goals along the way. The outcome, like it or not, and again, athletes hate it when I say this, that outcome is actually uncontrollable. Yeah, we we can't hundred percent make ourselves get. Otherwise, I'd be world record holder. Oh yeah, I was, I was hoping you were not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, I can just teach you how to do it, and you'll be fine. <laughs> like it's not. And yes, we can try and influence that outcome, but we can't. And the problem is, we spend so much time trying to control that. And then you're right. If you don't get that outcome, if you just say this is the time, it feels like it's a complete failure. So. We need to also set some set ourselves up for success a bit, you know, in terms of what are the process goals along the way. And that might be, um, hey, how do I feel beforehand that I've controlled my nerves beforehand, you know, my nutrition, as we said beforehand, or during the race itself, what kind of nutrition strategy do you want? Maybe it's the focusing strategy that you have. Maybe it's the, whatever, walking up the hill and running down the hill, like whatever it is, but there's certain little goals along the way that you set yourself the outcome maybe been one, maybe you have 10 goals and the time or the placing being one of those. So if you don't achieve that, well, you've got nine other things that you need to look at and you need to evaluate. And this is, I'll, I'll say it again, it's not saying that outcome is not important, it is. But we tend to break our own confidence down if we only set that. Mm-hmm. And, out, and the process goals are far more controllable. Can I eat something at a particular, yes, I can. You know what I mean? Can I choose the strategy? Yes, yes, I can.
0: And i uh- isn't a big element of that, I mean, it's also matching your your expectations with what is actually physically possible. So having someone that can guide you with that, you know, there's some people that sometimes come and speak to me and they say, no, well, my goal is to run a Silver Comrades and you, what you're, wanting to do and <laughs> what you physically are currently doing they don't match up and i'm not saying that that's your particular case David, but it's it's something that happens a lot so i think you know having goals that are realistic with your physiological ability is also an extremely important factor and part of what you're saying for that laser sharp focus i find personally like you know say now we've got two oceans in a couple of weeks and for this entire oceans training block i haven't placed that much focus on it I only try and really zone in onto the the target goal for myself within a couple of weeks so like say four to six weeks then like my, my focus is laser sharp on that prior to that i'm focusing on all the other elements of just enjoyment and and mm-hmm. you know getting fitter and making sure i'm not picking up injuries and getting my nutrition right and all the other le- elements then i sort of mm-hmm. make a mental shift and and leah she she, she she sits there and she always tells me like i haven't seen you make that shift yet I, and and when i make that shift it's it's a clear shift that i've made mm-hmm. every morning it's like I know exactly what I'm focusing on, my time. Now I'm thinking about this is the pace that I should be doing when I'm going up this type of gradient. And it's just always at the back of my mind. So I also think it can be quite difficult to have this long goal down the line, six months down the line, and -hmm. you're trying to be laser sharp focus on that. But now it's like you're so far away. So is, is that something that you see with athletes as well, that they have this goal, but they kind of don't, have a know-how of how to break it down and get to it.
2: No, for sure. And I think this is why um, people think goal setting is easy. Well, we have that idea to set smart goals and all we'll will be fine. But <laughs> like, it doesn't work, first of all, I don't think. And it just oversimplifies something that can actually be quite uh, complex. But you know, if you think about it like this, when you just have, that, as you say, that one outcome in six months' time – it is this idea of almost living in a state of failure until you reach that, because you fail, fail, fail. You don't haven't reached it, haven't, had, and then you get oh yeah, yeah, I get it. Oh, I don't. And then like, like oh you know, yeah. my, six months just wasted. Whereas we know for you know great runners and athletes what they do, and people have heard this, and again they're like yeah, but but it's actually incredibly important. Is what is your what do you want to get out of this session, and what do you want to get out of this week or this particular training block, whatever it might be, because if we only have that one goal at the end. I say, it first of all, adds huge pressure to, to the performance, you know, and, and achieving that goal. But we don't feel like we are progressing or we don't feel like we are achieving anything along the way. And it speaks to confidence. It's those small wins, and it is. And again, people know this, but it's celebrating those small little wins along the way. Where else, in some sense, you know, yes, it's self-talk and all of that, but where else are you going to build confidence? Can't wait till six months to build confidence. Yeah. Um, we have to do it every day.
0: And those small wins is what builds confidence as athletes.
2: One of the things, anyway, you know, definitely it's one of the things.
1: Yeah, small wins for me are are PBs, (laughs) and that's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) That was my problem with comrades (laughs) last year. Is is like you can't train for comrades and run races in between it. So we trained for like five months just for this one goal, you know. And you put so much pressure on that one thing because you cancel everything else. You're like, I'm not gonna go run anything else because because we're training, we're training, we're training, and that's your one goal. And just like this hyper focus on that. On that. But um, I also wanted to ask.
2: Sorry, before you yes. move on, can I quickly, because yes. the other thing I wanted to say on that before I forget. And again, as I said, I'm competitive, so I'm not saying the goal is not important. But when you, one way of thinking about it as well, when you speak to retired athletes and you say like, what do you remember about your career? And you know, And yes, they will talk about whatever the Olympic gold medal or, you know, the Comrades Marathon win or something like that. But they will almost all talk about as well the experiences that they had from the hard training sessions and the times on tour when things didn't maybe go well or when it was amazing and they saw this incredible thing or the team. or the. So those those goals are important, don't be wrong, and, and achieving those and getting the gold medal or getting the silver medal. But what people really remember, and again, it sounds like such a cliche, but it really is the journey along the way that people actually really remember and Earth, want yeah. to – really that's the experience of being an athlete – so, you know, the community that you have, the getting up every day and being part of something, yes, we want you to achieve the Comrades goal, definitely, but I think we put so much emphasis just on that mm. and then forget a little bit around, well, there must be some sort of pleasure and enjoyment in in, in moving towards that because... There is so much, especially in an endurance event, there's so much that can happen on the day that's uncontrollable. And
0: I think that's particularly true of road running in particular because road runners are known for, you know, having – one or two big marathon exactly. goals for the year what happens in between that trail running is not as much because mm-hmm. they they tend to do a lot more events and that's a whole argument on its own which one is better as mm-hmm. putting all your eggs in one basket or having a whole multitude of mm-hmm. events but I think for road runners in particular it's being able to to see the journey mm-hmm. of what you're doing the the experiences the community around you as you say the friends that you're making along the road because you know through all the training that we're doing I think you know there's a big element of the outside that motivates us as well you know so yes it's our it's our inner goals that we're wanting to achieve but for me particularly it's also the people that you know uh, depend on me and the people that I like to see on the road and it's it's the community element that drives me and uh, I, I try and spend a lot of focus on that rather than my end goal and maybe when I'm getting closer to the goal I start to sort of reassess is that goal that I set out four months ago achievable can I am I am I there am I where I want to be or otherwise I have to have a, a real talk with myself <laughs> and that's not easy For
2: sure and no it's not and and again I, I know it sounds a little bit like touchy-feely the things we're saying but it is kind of important <laughs> and let me say as well like get, 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 let's get to the elite level <laughs> high performance what's the oh, shortcut tell me to enjoy the journey <laughs> <But> and <laughs> but carry
1: on
2: and no i was gonna say and it's such a and again i'm gonna become very psychological <laughs> now because it is we can talk about all the focusing skills and breathing skills and things that we want but it's a bit of a band-aid unless we also kind of sometimes look at the, a little bit about what's underneath and what I mean by that. And I include myself in this and it's part of why I do what I do. I could see through my career this, that our self-esteem and worth depends on getting that outcome. And so when we don't achieve it, we feel really bad about ourselves. And then when we perform well, we feel really good about ourselves and our identity and everything kind of gets wrapped up in, in that. And just think about it. If my self-worth is dependent on, let's say, finishing comrades. If I don't, it's, it's a huge problem. But also, what, goodness, the pressure and expectation then on this performance is massive. It's not just, well, I'm going to be disappointed I didn't reach a goal. My, my worth almost as a person depends on it. And people often say, no, no I'm defined I'm more than this, I'm not. But even it, it's not you don't have to be an elite level athlete to be defined yeah. by something. Sometimes even more so amateur, if I call it that, you know, social athletes. You're a runner, this is what you do, your whole community, people know that you're running comrades, you know, you tell everyone at work, this is what you're doing. It becomes a huge part of your identity.
1: Now we're getting into it. Yeah. So, so now we're getting into it. This is ask me about
0: my relationship with my mother. <laughs> no,
2: that's a I'll get you Martin. to lie on the couch.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, that's what that we had a conversation about mental strength with Martin. This is it. And Martin asked Davy a whole bunch of a couple of questions. I don't quite remember the flow no, of he, questions. That was crazy. But it was completely it was, unrelated. No, it,
1: no, no, no. It was it was my calves were tight. <laughs> my calves were tight. And I, I was, okay, well, how does it feel when you get out of bed in the morning? No, it's like, okay. No, it was, it's quite sore. And then after 30 minutes, how does it feel? No, it gets better. And then goes, and and tell me about the relationship with your mom. Because <laughs> <laughs> he thought they were connected. And I was like, whoa.
0: So then I told Martin, we were, we were going to have a chat with Kirst. And he was like, oh, we're going to get to the bottom of, de- of Davy's mommy issues. Yeah. <laughs> but, but But just circling, circling, circling. Okay, <laughs> back to that.
1: I agree with what you're saying. Like, especially in today's society social uh, media Mm. social media strava a lot of stuff especially for social athletes you know um, and elite level athletes obviously there's even more pressure on them but that's their job so they they signed up for that for (laughs) us you know it does become our identity you know you run comrades and you put it out there i'm gonna try for a silver and now you train for five six months for a silver medal or something and then and then things just don't go your way, things can go your way for four months out of the five months, and then it can take two weeks, and all of a sudden, and yes, I'm speaking about my <laughs> journey, okay, don't look at me like that, all of a sudden you're derailed, off your path kind of oh. thing, because I was sick, Nick, <laughs> thinks, Nick, Nick thinks it was a psychological issue, but um, but yeah, I really agree with that, I mean, it's, it does, it becomes our identity, and there's a lot of pressure that we might not realize especially when you're setting your goals you know you want it so badly you want that 5k pb you want that 10k pb and um i mean you might not get it and then it just it does mean way more than we actually realize so the question
0: is then how do you perform under pressure if you love the work we are doing and the impact that making a runner has had on the running community so far then why not become an official making a runner fan that's right guys Making the Runner is now on Patreon.
1: Although this started purely as a passion project, we have had to become realistic about the time and
0: cost of running a successful podcast. And that is why we've decided to set up a Patreon membership where our fans can make a pledge to support our work and help us further expand our reach into the greater global running community. If you're not in the position to commit to something like this, that's okay. We appreciate each and every listen and owe all our success to you. But if you want to make a pledge and become a super fan of the show, make sure to go and visit patreon.com forward slash making a runner. Thank you for your continued support and enjoy the rest of the show. Yes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, <laughs> first of all, you have to sort Just
2: out like your top mommy lines. issues and <laughs> top then. You line can stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there's no mom issues.
1: <laughs> mom and dad, if you're listening to this, please. Don't worry. There's no, We're there's all no good. parent issues. <laughs> we'll cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's not. laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll advertise it to everyone. They don't listen, it's fine.
2: <laughs> well, as I say, it's a quite a broad question on a number of things. Yeah, and just yeah. to go back to what I said, it, it's, and it's not easy, and I think a lot of athletes, and I say include myself, you know, just in terms of identity and self-worth. And so it is a recognition of um, I'm a little bit more than that. And so I'll get to your question now, but mm-hmm. it popped into my mind. I think some of your runners would have watched uh, Chariots of Fire, Mm-hmm. A, have you guys seen the movie? Yeah,
1: I mean, Nick, yep. Nick made me watch it the night before, Comrades. I dream that, eh? Yeah. <laughs> different movie. I no, I know watched. which one we watched. Okay, never mind. Carry on.
2: So, <laughs> so charity. about the music. Mm-hmm. Yes, when you start, Comrades, mm-hmm. you're going to hear it. But it's about these runners. I think it's the 1920s at Olympic Games yeah. that they, they're training for. And I always find it very interesting that these sort of two parallel stories and then the one I think is it Harold Adams, he's a Jewish guy and – look, there's probably some anti-Semitism going on. But he feels people doesn't like him because he's Jewish and part of it. But he also, he's just, you know, he's just not a, not a great guy, I suppose. He got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. And so he always wants to win Olympic gold because he's like, then people respect me. And there's part of the story where he makes it through to the final of the 100 meters for the Olympic Games. And he's speaking to a friend the night before and he's saying, yeah, I've always been afraid to lose. So this is the first time in my life I'm afraid to win. I had the next ten seconds in which to prove my existence. You think it's people think well. When I get that goal, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna feel amazing. Then I'll be happy. Then every everything will be fine. You know, once I once I get that, and the problem is he's sitting there going, crap, I thought that that's the case, but now what happens if I get it? And it's just you with a gold medal. Or it's just you now with one more comrades under your belt, but you the same. And then there's the parallel story, and again, this is not about any religious belief or anything. But there's a guy, Eric Little, who's uh, he's a Christian guy, and his family are all missionaries. And his sister comes to him and says, "Why are you training so hard? You know, bit of a waste of time, really. You should be a missionary in China, I think it was." And he said to her, "You know, I know that God has made me for China, but He's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And I love that idea of just finding pleasure in something that we're doing, and." Yes, we want to achieve those goals, but to say ultimately so often for athletes, it's now just you're in such a fleeting moment of joy. And more athletes are not, and this will be an interesting question, I think, if you ask and maybe your listeners too, is when you win or you get your goal, is it more relief or is it more excitement and joy? And so many athletes, it's almost more relief. Like, thank goodness I've done that. And so, you know, how do we then say, (laughs) not you. so, (laughs) But, yeah, so… How we handle pressure, and it comes back to your question, mm. is a recognition of there's sometimes a tension between both, I get that, of really wanting to achieve that goal, you know, and putting huge amounts of time and effort and, of course, being massively disappointed if you don't. But also the recognition of there's some pleasure just in, in the process of doing it.
0: I, I think the difference between potentially feeling relief or joy depends on your focus throughout the training, whether it like what we're talking about, if you have made your focus this goal it will be relief mm-hmm. if you've made your focus the journey it will just be e- e- exceptional end to that journey yeah. so there's definitely an element of both I, I can definitely see that both personally and with with people that i work with but that element of enjoyment i think plays a big role in being able to to perform on the day and how do you still allow yourself to enjoy the event? Because I, I, I say this to so, so many of my clients, running must be one of the, and I mean, endurance sports in general, I'm sure it's the same thing with swimming and cycling. It's, you know, you train so hard, you you enjoy the process and you are training so hard for this one event that even now I can't wait for two oceans to be finished. I can't wait to see myself get to the finish <laughs> line, you know? And it's just, you're training so hard for this one thing that the moment that gun goes off, you just Waiting for it to be done, and yeah, it's just it's it sounds meant to, it sounds a bit crazy actually.
2: No, but I mean, think <laughs> about Olympic athletes. It's once every four years. Yeah, you know, yeah. even once a year. You know, <laughs> so it's it's and you miss one, then you got another four years to go. Like you get sick. That's actually
1: so true. That's something that I've always found so crazy. Olympics being once every four years, and like obviously, if you're an elite level athlete an Olympics is your identity. You know, the guys that get mm-hmm. the tattoos and everything on it and I mean, that's...
0: Uh, got Baby, on you, a, you didn't um, ask Kirst if she had a tattoo first before you said
1: no, that. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well,
0: no, 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 I can spin it in a positive <laughs> way though. It's not
1: a bad thing. I'm just saying, it's like, it, it does. It's, it's every four years and Damn. you're trying to just go for that one, that one event and if something goes wrong during that training and you don't make it, like, there's been lots of that and then it's, Another four years or eight years even like
2: sure, and you know and and it is, and I suppose, as you said, it's that execution under pressure. So if again, sorry, go back to your question mm. about how do you handle pressure, as we said earlier, some of those breathing techniques that can really help ratchet down the emotion of the moment. And then what do you need to do in endurance events, I mean it really is, I know before we started recording, you spoke about disassociation and that, and it, there's a strategy for that as well about how do you just think less. but you know there's again that old joke we you know of like how do you eat an elephant? like one bite at a time. And it, for endurance events, we know it's critical to just have a little segment, a little chunk that you're going to be focusing on and just another little chunk that you're going to be focusing on. Um, you know, I became really interested in sort of Navy SEAL training, you know, the special ops guys in the States. And they found sort of 80% of the guys would would drop out and not because they're not physically tough enough, but mentally they would battle. Mm-hmm. And so some psychologists got together to find out how they could improve this pass rate. And there were a couple of things they did. The one was controlling the level of intensity. So how hyped up or how relaxed you were. And they thought that wasn't, speak about breathing techniques and things like that. They found guys would panic before they even started something like getting into the cold water or holding their breath. So managing that level intensity, then yes, a little bit of the correct kind of self-talk, but the other one was, you know, segmenting. So rather than, especially in their hell week where they had like, well, it's a week like whatever, 10 days of that training, where they know they're gonna get very little sleep, they're gonna be cold, they're gonna be hungry it might just be make it up to the top of this hill or maybe just through to Mm. next tea time or the next kind of lunch break or something like that. And I know that endurance athletes know this but it's absolutely critical that you you create that for your race. And then I spoke about time traveling earlier. I'm not thinking about, you know, kilometer num- number 80 when you're in kilometer number two. And we have a tendency to time travel and to think about it. And that's that, come back to that single point focus. I said, practicing, noticing that, and then just bringing it back to what was my task just for this next, it could be half an hour, it could be 10Ks, whatever you decide. But those little chunks of time, um, are so important for endurance athletes. And just to be here now, that's what we want. And then it's the next one, and mm. then it's the next one. But practicing just, and I say it's mental work, just drawing your focus back to this little segment.
0: And for for those those athletes that would struggle with being able to maintain that focus for seven hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, I mean, those are extreme ultra endurance events and even you know further 100 milers, 24 hours, 30 hours. Obviously that practice... Will work to an extent, but how does an athlete continue to just persevere mentally? That obviously I think comes that's disassociation.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, but and I think you're right in many ways. I don't, you can't concentrate for seven hours. Like, there's absolutely no ways that you can concentrate fully for, <laughs> for that amount of
1: time. See, he puts <laughs> pressure on me. He's, I just got a death day like, from He looks baby. at me like exactly. A workday is eight hours, guys. You are telling me that for seven out of
0: eight hours of the day you are zoned in? On on different elements, <laughs> I guess it's it's not just on oh, the wait, road. You guys oh. have been quiet. Are you?
1: <laughs> so <'Cause> then, uh,
0: <laughs> was that a yes? <laughs> I, I like to try. I like I like to think, but also I think it comes down to confidence again. And I, I I don't know if it's going into overconfidence, but I feel like for myself personally, it's something that I. I like to think that I'm strong mentally. I like to go into an event thinking I'm strong mentally and whether I am or I'm not, I think it, it plays a big role on how that day pans out. I always say to myself, I might not have the legs, but I know that my mind can endure. Do you know what I think you are though? I think you're calm
1: because no, but I really do. Like, I know what you're saying. Like you back yourself being mentally, but you're very calm. And I think that calmness helps with your mental strength, but I think being calm is just also a huge, huge, like um, strength that a lot of us don't have. Like, I w- I would say I'm calm to a certain extent, but not not as near as calm as you are. Like, if I've watched you on race day, like very little will throw you off off course, sort of thing. Like you, like if something happens, you'll adjust course and all of that. So, I mean, that's that's being calm for me, um, or being know. focused. I don't know.
2: Well, I think it's it goes hand in hand, and I can. I mean, almost guarantee. When you say focused and calm, you very much just in the present moment. You're not worrying about what's going to happen in sixty kilometres time. You probably are very focused, and that you spoke about disassociation and flow and things like that. Flow state really is a very present moment focus. That's what it is. Uh, You're very concentrated in a sense, but it's but it's easy, Um, and because you, you just say you're just here now, as soon as we start to say time travel too far mm. in the future, too far in the past, we're drawn out of the moment and that's when anxiety and stress and things kind of kick in. Overthinking is part of that when we're thinking about all the different things that we have to do. Like we're not just, say present is the best way to put it. So most people are saying it might be focus on that but I think it's more say a very t- it's a very particular kind of focus that you're wanting and when you're calm it's easier to do that. But a lot of athletes use sort of dissociation, and I say it's a form of flow, where you count your steps, you sing to yourself, you do some things, you know, it's just a little bit of almost a mental holiday, because it is difficult to be fully there all the time, because that's very, very hard. Mm. And actually, if you can just spend some time, a lot of athletes that I work with, you know, different sports use I you singing because lots of athletes sing to themselves like just finding a way especially in endurance events just you know, like something in your head going and then yeah. just trusting your training that your body is naturally going to follow whatever um pacing you're supposed to be doing or things like that you know you can kind of check on that and you watch yeah. if you want to
1: so for me also like that's why sometimes i enjoy training on my own is because training with people is great like it it makes it a lot easier but training on your own and being comfortable with, like, that own, like, mental space that you're going to be in on race day. Because typically, come race day, you know, you're maybe not going to be with all your friends, especially if you're trying to achieve Mm. a goal, a very specific goal and all of that. And that's, for me, when that training on my own is, like, it's the best time for me to completely zone out and think about my day, think about all these different kind of things. And, like, next thing I know, and I'm 40 minutes into the run, and, you know, I haven't actually... I haven't done those, you know, or how tough that was or, you know, because you just completely zone out. And I think that's like what I also try and take into race day sometimes is just like being in that moment and just being able to like almost mentally check out and just and just go through the motions. So,
0: I think it is a challenge though, because because in that sense, you know, you, you have this race plan and if you can get yourself to the point where, yeah, you're not thinking about what you're currently doing, and you're still able to execute that plan, then that's great. But I think a lot of people can't do both. And that's where I believe the mental challenge would become from from that perspective. But if we're talking about flow state, I mean, is there certain techniques that Runners can can use to get into that flow state. Uh, is it something that you know every runner should be able to get into? That sharp laser focus, nothing else matters. I mean, when I when I'm running, I don't, I'm not thinking about problems. Or that's that's the beauty about running. And I think a lot of people use running as a as a mode to get yeah, away yeah. from all these issues. Would that also be the runner's flow state?
2: Yeah, and I think you know, again, as much as we talk about flow, and it's wonderful when you experience that. To be honest, I think, though, it's few and far between that actually experience that regularly. And what I mean by that, for sure, sometimes you say when you go and I'm the same, when I swim, it's kind of a form of meditation for me where I can just zone out and not really think too much about stuff or just let your mind kind of wander. But I think we also have to be careful to saying that, you know, high performance or peak performance only occurs in this flow state because I think there's some debate around that as well. But again, I think if we come back to what we're talking about is – not overthinking. That's really what it is. And I think both of you are probably talking about a similar thing. They're just different ways of getting into it where there's maybe just one task that you focused on. I can almost guarantee there's not 20 things mm. necessarily going through your head. It's one or two things that you focused on. You may be focused on something else, but again, it's like one or two things. So it's still for both, I would say, it's a very present moment task you know, focused kind of uh, mindset, I suppose. The trouble I say is when we get ourselves into overthinking and particularly time traveling into the future. And you're right, especially more amateur runners that haven't done things before, because it's a flows where you have the skill already. You know, so you have to really work hard and think about what you're doing. And it's always the paradox, isn't it? Like when you're learning the skill, you have to think a lot about what you're yeah. doing. And then once you have the skill, you have to forget about it. Otherwise it's worse <laughs> for you. So, you know, it's learning to drive. You have to really think about what you're doing when you learn to drive. Now, you know.
0: Subconscious. Exactly.
2: And what happens when someone gets in your car and you're trying to impress them and not stall, (laughs) and then you stall and you can't, like, you overthink then what you're trying to do. So I think, you know, but there are a lot of runners, you're right, that need to, they can't just disassociate necessarily. But I would still say what they need to do is comes back to the little segment. What is your job in the segment? And it can't be 42 different jobs in the segment. What is the rhythm that you're wanting? And I like always the the feeling and the rhythm that you're wanting in this particular little chunk of time, and so you draw your your mind back to just this task now. Mm. Um, it could be a particular cadence, it could be a particular uh, technique thing that you just just. Especially when you're getting tired, like what do you need to do that your you know that your technique is not just like falling all over the show. So it's it's saying that the little tasks that you give yourself, if you cannot think about it, wonderful. But most of us probably think you know, too much about it. So simplify it down and give your brain a task to focus on, but something that helps you keep the rhythm and the feeling of what you're doing. Because all sports, it no doesn't matter whether it's endurance running or sprinting or swimming, there's all a particular rhythm. And if you can kind of tap into that and the little technique things that you can do to help yourself find that rhythm, you know, that's really what you're wanting.
0: And what would, cert- what would be certain things that can get in the way of finding that rhythm i mean not having a clear understanding of what the outcome needs to be or the goal is for that specific segment obviously would be one of them is there other things that you know runners can suffer from anxiety getting bored those types of elements
2: yeah i think all of that you're right and i suppose maybe in comrades i don't know if comrades runners get bored along the way but maybe they do <laughs>
1: <laughs> no <laughs> painful you you know (laughs) pain is pain one of them you're not bored if you're in pain
2: (laughs) no i think you know what i would and maybe as a for the people listening to this think about what is it that you need to focus on to help you keep the rhythm um and sorry i'll just use myself as an example because it's easier like i know if if i was trying too hard or i just not feeling great in the water like i would often like in freestyle, you it's called like dropping your elbow. So as you put your arm in, instead of kind of keeping your elbow nice and high and you're kind of really holding the water and you get a nice, long, powerful stroke, you kind of drop your elbow and you sort of slip through the water. So I figured out for myself if I said, okay, just sort of stretch and glide. So in the front of my stroke, if I just stretched a bit and glided, my elbow would naturally pop up and then my shoulder would be correct, my hips would be correct. But it's interesting, if you say to athletes, what do you just need to keep doing – to And I'll talk to you now about optimism. What do you need to keep doing to help you find the rhythm? And often they don't know. They know what they're doing wrong, mm. but what are you doing that's right? And what helps you to keep going with that? And, again, not millions of different things. Think about, like, we use this example, like dominoes where you have, you know, when you stack dominoes out and you've got, I don't know, you might have 100 dominoes, but you, you push the first one over, then like a cascade, they all go the problem is we start thinking about domino number one and 42 and mm. 89 and three and four. and, But what is that first domino? Like just focus on doing that. Because if you do that, like a cascade, it, everything, everything follows else falls in. It. But people don't know what that first domino is. They're often only thinking about domino number 10. Actually, no, go back, go back, go back. What is just focus on that thing?
0: Well, I think from a form perspective and, and relating it back to running, the simplest thing to think about would be being as tall as you can. So remaining tall, because that's the common thing that you see when people are fatiguing or struggling, with yeah. something. So <laughs> if you think about being tall, it automatically corrects a lot of those biomechanical issues.
1: But if you're fatiguing and struggling, so like I agree with what you're saying, but yes, you, it's always going to feel good when you begin. And then <laughs> flipping 40Ks in, whatever, like... Fatigue is a bitch, I'll say that much. And like, you can't get rid of that. And you can't then go, oh, but how did I feel at the start? Because like, that's gone, sort of. Like, you're not going to just be like, okay, now I'm back, I'm fresh, you know, everything's good. Definitely
2: not. Yeah. Yeah. Do do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) But it's still the correct thing to do. And so maybe I I should. I know it's the correct thing to
1: do. Yeah. But like, if I'm 70Ks into Comrades and I'm going to say, stand, do that, and it's going to fix all my problems. (laughs) Can guarantee you it's not going to fix <laughs> no, everything. It's not, well, let me
2: say it's not going to fix all your problems, but it might help you at least finish. And so there's okay, this idea yeah. in psychology as well, of in sports psych, like, well, not just sports psychology, but this idea of optimism. And I won't bore you with all the stories, but they say like Olympic champions, world champions are a little bit more optimistic than the general population. But now we think of optimism often as this very Pollyanna-ish kind of like, hey, everything will be fine. Just believe in yourself. Keep going. You'll be okay. And it's not that at all. Like, I don't like just positive thinking. I don't think it works. I think, you know, we can't trick ourselves into thinking, just believe and you'll be fine. Or what do you say? It's called K's. false hope. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're like, no, my body feels like it's going to collapse. <laughs> like, it's not just... It'll be fine. it in yourself. Yeah. yeah. Just keep going. <laughs> but the idea of optimism, they kind of three Ps. And I say, I won't tell you all the stories about it, but like, it is... Permanence, pervasiveness, and personal control. So number one, people that are more optimistic in the way they think about things don't think bad things are permanent. So in other words, it's acknowledging, yes, it's really bad right now, but it can't last forever. And look, I know Comrades is maybe a bit of an exception, but we've all probably been on training runs or whatever you're doing where in the beginning it wasn't great. You keep going, actually, it's all right. Or there's a period during Comrades where you just, like, it's a real struggle, but if you just keep going, actually, again, the rhythm kind of comes. So it's acknowledging that it really sucks right now, but it's not going to be permanent. And even Comrades will end <laughs> at some point. Pervasiveness means um, across all situations. So kind of thinking, was well, one thing's going wrong, so everything is going wrong. Or, you know, it didn't work then, so it's not going to work now. And it's this a mindset of going, yeah, maybe this is not working, but other stuff can be working And then a sense of personal control. There's some things that I can do to affect some change here. So ultimately what we're saying is that skilled optimists, you want to keep trying but keep trying the right things. And it doesn't mean that it's going to feel super comfortable or that you're just not going to be amazing. But it's saying that we have to keep going. So what are the things that I know that if I just keep saying to myself or just keep focused on or just keep doing, like standing tall, it's not going to fix everything but best chance of getting through – this is the stuff that I must do and really simplify it down because you're right into fatigue and then the elephant is rampaging about. It's so hard to think through things. Whereas what is one or two things that I just hold on to that I know, just try it to the best of my ability to just keep doing this. And that's the thing that kind of helps us keep going.
0: And is that a form of turning like those negative experiences or difficult life experiences into what you often hear the the very positive? Well, the the, the, the optimistic mean, no. yeah, yeah. Uh, stories that we often hear coming from very tough life situations is that sort of a similar way of thinking
2: absolutely and you know there's a psychologist called Michael Gervais and he's a psychologist at the Seattle Seahawks and I heard him speak once and he said optimism is really at the core of mental toughness because he said if you think about it it's when you come and butt up against a challenging situation it could be a life situation it could be a you know, halfway through Comrades or two oceans, when you come up against it and it's really difficult, it's that holding on to that belief that if I keep doing certain things, I think that I can affect some change in the future. I think it can be better somehow in the future, or at least I think I can get through somehow in the future. You know, so that's the really, as I say, the core of mental toughness is this ability to kind of go, keep going. But I said, a skilled optimist, what are the correct things to keep? We can keep trying all the wrong things. Mm. You know, that's not going to work. What are the correct things that we keep trying and that we keep doing? And be it in life, be it in you know comrades, be it in whatever it might be, and I love that way. And it's not again saying that things are just fine or it'll all be okay. Like it's really difficult. Or as you said, like you didn't achieve your goal. It's really tough. It's incredibly disappointing and sometimes devastating. But but the belief that but I think if I keep doing some things, it can be it can be better. And now, look, pessimists they often say are better at assessing are better at assessing risk. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes we need a bit of pessimism to go, look, like, don't do that. <laughs> this is not
0: going to work. Are you a pessimist, um, Nick. No,
1: definitely not. <laughs> definitely an optimist. Definitely, definitely not. <laughs> sometimes I feel Nick telling me, don't don't do that too many times, and so I feel like this guy is. Just cutting me at my it's
0: wings. not not from trying okay. to be a pessimist,
2: <laughs> being a realist. I <laughs> yeah. we'll Yes, yeah, but yeah, and I say I think that's the way to think, and particularly in endurance events as well. It's again, it's not permanent, but we have to have that belief, and I, I do think part of that belief comes from our training and our preparation. Yes, the other part from the way we speak to ourselves, but it has to come from our training and our preparation that. You know, remember that run that I did, that was tough, but I just kept on doing this thing and actually I managed to get through. Mm. You know, the last time this happened to me, I remember that I could – so that's why I say mental and physical preparation go hand in hand.
0: Well, oftentimes, like you say, you you remember the difficult times. You remember that difficult run. You remember that set that didn't feel good or that Mm. time that your stomach wasn't good. You don't often remember all of the the good runs. And it's the same thing with baby, you know, talking about wanting to – improving his performance and going to run a PB. And, I mean, the a personal best time is out very much an outlier in your regular running life and running career. And I, I guess the difficulty then becomes, you know, not not in your particular case, Davey, but as an athlete that now is aging and, you know, PBs start to become more difficult, more difficult, there's a physiological boundary mm-hmm. that you eventually would hit. And, I, and this, I think, relates a little bit to... Uh, some of the book that you wrote, you know, waking from the dream of being an an elite level athlete and moving on to retirement, that must, that's a completely different mindset scenario and a completely different kettle of fish that we're not going to particularly open right now. But that, that is a difficult and, and and something that is a realistic thing for a lot of runners as well. You know, there certainly comes a time where you you can't just improve and improve and improve and improve (laughs) all the time. So,
2: no, and I'm laughing because I said earlier that I um I don't some masters and uh, people that know me will know this, but I, part of me is like, I don't want to see myself getting slower and slower yeah. every year <laughs> because first of all, I know the amount of training that it takes to actually swim faster, but second of all, you're right. I'm now like 43, like I'm not going to be swimming like I did when I'm you know 20. And it was one of the things that I struggled with a bit when I retired was like, well, what's, what's the goal? And it took me, long time and it's still sometimes that it you know it kind of goes through my head is how do I do something really that it is for fun, you know, that I can enjoy doing it and it's connection and it's community and it is still a sense of achievement, you know, that maybe there was a, a you know a tough training session, but I got through it. Or maybe I guess it didn't actually feel like going, but I went. Well done. You know what I mean? It's actually yeah. it's more around I think as we get a bit older <laughs> as we get older. But I think it has to be more around, you say, like health, physical health, mental health, connection, community, all those things. Because you're right; that realistically, we not, you know, you can't run naught seconds for a marathon. You know, so yeah. you not, you are going to get to physiological limits, and this is where I come back to identity and all the rest of it. Is there has to be something broader, otherwise, we in real trouble.
0: That's why we start a podcast there. Eh? <laughs> 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 so even when we're aging and we can't run anymore, David, we, we can still, still, <laughs> have still have inflict our strength, positive yeah. change. Would you say that? Um,
1: <laughs> would you say that failure is necessary for success? And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously like building mental strength and and becoming like more honed in with, with just your mental well being. Your your you know, I mean, this comes back to like the whole sports psychology thing. Is like dealing with failure and also like knowing. Do Do you think a lot of athletes like fail and then bury things, you know, deep down because they don't want to don't want to deal with that failure and do you think that's a mistake because a lot of the times when you fail like those are the lessons that you can learn to help you succeed so like looking back at like what you did wrong how you didn't want to feel you know and and, and certain th- certain things like that so i think my question to you is sort of would you say that you know athletes are too quick to just like bury failure and quickly try and like move forward and not think about it and is it something that we should you know you know accept more with like open arms and and work on it and learn from
2: Uh, in a short yes (laughs) but it's very difficult (laughs) and what I mean by that is um, so again when you're competitive and you have goals and you want to it's so difficult and I don't like the word failure but I don't know that there's necessarily a better term because you might failure failure, it's it's the only (laughs) way to
1: put it it's like a red stamp
2: failed and I suppose if I'm speaking as a psychologist it is not like I failed but maybe that was a failure there's kind of a bit of a separation out from you and what you did and your you know kind of your what you're doing and who you are. But yes, I think we have to be careful of saying that we can, people say you, you either win or you learn. And I don't necessarily think that that's true either. I think you can learn a huge amount from winning and being successful. When I say successful, achieving the goal, um, yeah. Looking at what what helped you. And we don't often also do that. It's only when we haven't done something, like what went wrong and how, and think about it. Yeah, that's I true. did well. You're like, yeah, yeah, I did well. That's amazing. You don't yeah. think about it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Move on. But what? Yeah. And I say again, you say to Athens, what are you doing to perform well? And it's incredible. I, mean, I don't know. It just sort of happened. You're like, well, it didn't just happen. <laughs> he speaks about flow. Oh, There's certain things, right? the goal, yeah. the setting, the focus something? What did you do wrong? Oh, a whole long list of things that they in their worst performance. But it's because
1: you can't describe what you did right. You just know that it was right because you did it. <laughs> and you, and then when you fail, yeah, like you say, like oh my word, just give you a detailed graph of exactly how you felt. For well, sure. But if you do it,
2: no, I felt good. <laughs> so I would suggest that. Um, It's looking at whether you do well or not, do you have some kind of way of evaluating your performance? And again, difference between judging your performance versus evaluating your performance. And it goes back to what we said about process goals and outcome goals. Do you have those things that you can look back, the things you can control? Do you go, well, you know, I had 10 things I can control. I did eight really well, Mm, two really not so well. You know, so how do I work on those versus just... Hey, I didn't get the time, so it was a complete failure.
1: Do, do you recommend, uh, just uh, sorry, quick on, I know we're running out of time, but who, who was it that recommended journaling to
0: us? Uh, it was Julie. So Julie, Julie so, the so <laughs> do you
1: recommend, because I mean, that's something that like now that we talk about that, like yeah. having that like check-in, is journaling something that you recommend to your athletes on like daily check-ins? Because I think it's also something that like a lot of people just don't do. I don't do it. And it was something that I was thinking of maybe going towards, but it's just like, it's another thing to do. On top of your day-to-day activities, but sure. is that something that could really help with your mental strength and also like just, just you know calming yourself down? Because I think you know we're all quick to have one bad day and then yeah. everything's bad. But maybe that gym journaling component helps.
2: Definitely. I mean, I think I do recommend journaling to to athletes, and some love it and some hate it. As you say, sometimes it's just another thing that you have to do. But I think the point of journaling and, as you say, checking in is. A lot of mental skills training is more just developing insight into aware and awareness of what am I thinking and what am I feeling, and then from there you can, can begin to kind of manage it. And so many um, people are not necessarily aware of what they're thinking, what they're feeling, or afterwards, after the race, they go, "Oh my goodness, I was so nervous beforehand." Like, okay, what did you do to manage it? Oh, nothing, <laughs> you know. In the middle of the race, I completely lost focus. Okay, so what did you do to? No, no, nothing. So you, you, like, okay, but you have to, we can't just at the end kind of say, well, this is what happens. So how do we, I say, really develop insight into what do I think? What do I feel? And, you know, maybe a practical handle for people listening is, I'm going to speak about red flags. So what are uh, warning signs that if I start thinking this or doing this, my performance is going to be affected? Let um, me again just use myself as an example. If I got really quiet before race, it was a big warning sign that I was getting way too nervous. Yeah. like And you just, cause I'm thinking, 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 yeah. sitting with myself. So how do really, you have to, there's three hours. you have to recognize it. And that's the hard part. Like is actually recognizing this red flag and quite quickly, not like three hours later, you know, that this, that, oh my goodness, yeah, I was so quiet. <laughs> um, you know, so recognizing that red flag and then very quickly relaxing yourself, however you choose to do it. Often just taking a breath in and out is easy. And then, refocusing and how do you refocus on something that's controllable or something you're know, right now that you can do so you know it's um but people do we we need to develop a little bit more insight into what we're thinking and what we're feeling and it's again it's weirdly difficult and you ask people to when a map said you like name a feeling like well again we say we happy we sad we kind of run out of emotional words very quickly as to how we're feeling and why it's important often athletes if they say example they're disappointed in a race if you dig a little bit deeper they're actually embarrassed about it it's not just that they're disappointed and so the way you deal with embarrassment is a little bit difficult the way you deal with you know, with disappointment so we have to get better at being able to name we'll, well figure out what am i feeling and journaling is one of the ways to do this and i suppose it's encouraging uh, you know curiosity and i remember watching this i've got a bit of a fascination as well with big wave surfers because i think i would just <laughs> they, would, they would panic me completely as much as i know about mental strengths. to like paddle out into you know waves like that it's just insane i remember there was this old clip that i saw and there these guys i think it was in, in pipeline and where is it hawaii and the guys were on the beach and they were kind of paddling out so it was kind of you know from the shore, and. Uh, there was one guy trying to find his way out and he kept pounding by these waves and kind of pushed back into the beach and pounded by the waves. and, And it's so interesting. The commentator was saying, he said, sure, you know, I can't remember what the guy's name was. Let's say it was Kirsten. He said, like, Kirsten, you know, in a situation where you could respond with fear actually responds with curiosity I thought, what a wonderful way of putting it. And you could see what he was doing was that he was like, goodness, you know, like, okay, so this is what whatever the rip is doing, or this is where, what the ocean learning. is doing, and learning along the way about, and, you, and look, again, like, say, remaining calm, but I thought, what a cool way of putting it, rather than saying, well, let's respond with fear or panic, be curious about your feelings. Again, judge yourself for it, but like, you know, goodness, so completely, I'm completely curious about what I'm thinking about, curious about what I'm feeling, and then we can kind of begin to manage them.
0: Yeah, look, I think curiosity is... is curiosity curiosity <laughs> killed the cat, guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> should, should be at the That'd root... too <laughs> curious.
0: <laughs> oh, I think Some it should <laughs> be at the root of uh, analyzing your, your performance because, yeah, like you said, I think a lot of people look at it as disappointment a lot of the time. And there's so many times if someone has run a PB, but they're disappointed because they didn't run the time that they wanted to run, but it's still a PB or you still won. But you still... People are quick to look at the negatives of a certain situation um so I often find myself like making them focus on on the the good outcomes that have come from that situation. But I think that's just us as athletes. We're always looking for that extra edge. We're looking for performance for competitors and uh, I think that's what it comes down to.
2: Well, sure. And you must. And I mean that's part of it as you yeah. said, absolutely being competitive. And I think as you say that we can be we can still be curious about ourselves within it. And you know, repeat this, it's really hard to um develop, I suppose this as you say, one want a bit of mental strength if we're not aware of what's even going on in our heads and what are we feeling. And as I said, I know it can seem a little touchy-feely, but it's quite, yeah, it's, it's quite an important skill to learn and to develop sure. just to be able to say, well, this is actually, so on race day when I wake up and I am like super nervous, like, okay, just a recognition of it. But then I've practiced actually managing this. So I don't have to worry. And maybe one of the last things I can say is not, I almost prefer the using the word, you know, trust rather than confidence. So in other words, I say like to athletes, go trust yourself. And, you know, trust is almost like a future focused thing. And like trust that whatever happens, you have this toolbox, both physical tools and mental tools that whatever happens, you'll be able to, you have the tools to be able to deal with it. We don't have to worry about if it happens. We don't want it to happen. But if it does, trust that you have the tools to be able to deal with it. Whereas confidence is more of like a feeling i suppose now which is it's great to have don't be wrong it's not a bad thing but trust is more of a a knowledge and a belief that i do have tools to manage it and i know how to do this and i don't want it to happen you know but but i say worst case scenario if it does i've got the tools and i've practiced using these tools and that's really what we're talking about today what are some of the tools that you practice when you're training and every day not just the night before mm. race, because then it's so much easier to trust yourself going into
0: things. Well, drop the mic. That was. Yeah, I think confidence can come across as bullish sometimes as well, and whereas trust is, as you just trust yourself. Exactly. That's, wow. Well, I think I learned a lot today, Davey.
1: Um, I'm, I'm 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 funny enough even more nervous <laughs>
2: goodness i clearly haven't done my job
1: yet. No, I, pro- so we
2: didn't talk enough about pro- your mom I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm processing i'm processing
0: kirst thank you so much for making your time available for us today honestly i think it was such an insightful conversation I think the, the mind and, and the way the mental side of things with running works is something that a lot of runners don't don't place any importance on until until they have to, which is often too late. So, yeah, I, I honestly think it's going to be extremely insightful for our runners and we, we look forward to releasing it and also look forward to perhaps having you on in the future again chatting about more specific parts of, mm-hmm. of mental strength and athletes.
2: I'd I'd love to do that. And again, thank you for inviting me to be on. I can talk about this stuff all day. Thank you so much for coming. (laughs) It was brilliant. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our
1: journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.